Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you've got your Bibles tonight, I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to be starting from 1 Kings, the 13th chapter. Um, I'm going to be reading a lot of verses from this chapter, so what I'll do is I'll just read a couple verses and I'll let you sit down. Uh, 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, verse 1, verse 2. It says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah, by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. You may be seated. If you're familiar a little bit with where we're reading, you'll realize that if I could backtrack, that Solomon just, uh, as his, his reign was ending, was told by God that he was going to have a man secede him. His name was going to be Jeroboam. He was actually, he predicted and prophesied that there would be a split of Israel, the kingdom, and it no longer would be one kingdom, it would be actually two. Uh, ten tribes to Israel, two tribes to Judah. So here we have God picking a man and... Uh, he promised him as long as he obeyed God that everything would be uh, blessed and he would reign, uh, continue the reign of David and of Solomon. But if he didn't, he would, he would pay the price. Well, of course, when we're reading here in 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, we're finding out that this altar is not an altar that Jeroboam has built unto God, but it's an altar that's built unto false gods. And we find that God is now pronouncing judgment on a man that he chose to take the position. He chose him to secede Solomon. Now, I, I want to tell you, and you've heard this before, that God is no respecter of persons. Uh, he's chosen you, and he's called you for a purpose. But just like Jeroboam and just like some of the others, we have the opportunity to either obey him or not. It's our choice. And so Jeroboam chose not to obey now, let's continue reading. I'm going to probably read down uh, to verse uh, around 32, so hang in there. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Surely this altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. This, then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of God. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. 
Now, I'm going to be talking about Jeroboam a little bit later, but I want you to, to realize that Jeroboam has seen a very miraculous event happen before his eyes, not only to the altar, but to his own body. His hand withered immediately. The altar split open and the ashes came out. Then he prayed for help and the Lord healed his arm. This is, this is firsthand knowledge of the power of God. Then, said, then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I'll give you reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you or would I eat bread nor drink water in this place? For so was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Let's go back and look at that. By the word of the Lord, he was commanded, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he knew what the word of the Lord was. And he started to follow that word. So he went another way. Did not, did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, settle the donkey for me. So they settled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. If only he wouldn't have stopped. The story that we're going to read would have turned out completely different. If he'd only kept going. But he stopped under the oak, and then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. Now he just told Jeroboam that he couldn't do that because God had commanded him not to eat or drink but to go back from the, on the, a different way than what he'd come. And he said, I cannot return with you nor, in, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by going the way you came. Now notice what he says. This is unique. Satan has a way of trying to disarm or disguise the word of God and put it away. He said to him, guess what? I too am a prophet as you are. Just like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But notice in quotations in your Bible, it says what? He's lying to him. And he knew he was lying to him. Now, the prophet had to make a choice. Whose word do I trust? Now, God told me not to do this. This prophet said that I can do this. I wonder if we were let our imaginations run if he was sitting under that tree because he was a little hot and thirsty and tired. And all of a sudden, this invitation to go back and have a little something to eat and a little bit to drink was really tempting. But did God's word change? 
So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, the same prophet that lied to him and convinced him to disobey God is the one that's going to pronounce judgment on him. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he settled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. He was getting him ready for his own death because on that donkey, he's going to be killed. Because as we continue to read, we're going to find that a lion meets him on the way. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him and his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. How did it feel for that old prophet that lied to this man who pronounced judgment on this man? What did he feel when he watched that man of God get on that donkey knowing that he would never ever make it back to Judah and the thing that was most important to men at that time was to be buried in the sepulchres of their fathers and never even in his death abide in a place that he would want to be. How did he feel? I don't think he felt anything. I think he had such a hard heart that it didn't bother him at all. And there, and there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now the prophet, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it's the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. He's quick to point out that the man was disobedient. No, he was not as, you lied to him and you convinced him to disobey God. Therefore the Lord had delivered him to the lion which had torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. Now the writer puts this in. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. That's, that's really, really interesting because the writer wants you to know that this was not just a random act by a hungry lion. The lion didn't touch the donkey, even though if it was hungry, he would have eaten, eaten the donkey or, or mauled the body. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying, When I'm dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. We find that the enemy in this story was not so much Jeroboam as it was a compadre. It was another prophet. Now the Bible calls him a prophet. He must have been a prophet at one time. Obviously he was not a, 
a very good prophet or a very committed person to God because he only sought to serve his own purposes. He wanted to have the fellowship of this, this popular man in Israel at that time. This prophet from God had done something very miraculous to the king. Boy, I really want to have him in my house. But have you thought now, was God fair in what happened? Now, we talked the last couple of weeks about grief and sorrow and suffering and those things, and we, we tried to address the question is, why does God allow the righteous to suffer? But let me look at it from a different aspect now. In our human sense, we might say, Lord, why would you do that? The man said that you had uh, talked to him and told him to do something differently, and he was only thinking that's what you wanted him to do. We, he didn't have a Bible like we could and go back and, and see that it was written and he shouldn't do that. But somehow he knew in his heart what the word of the Lord was and even though this man told him to do this, he knew in his heart, I believe, that it was wrong. But he compromised on the word of God and he lost his life. Now, I want to go back to another text now. I'm going to jump to the New Testament. And I'm going to try to follow this up by something else in, in the time of Christ. John, the sixth chapter. And I'm going to be going down to uh, verse 41. Now, we're, we're familiar with this portion of Scripture as well because this is the, the portion of Scripture where many of the followers of Christ leave. Christ has done and I'm going to talk about some of these miracles. I, I started to write down some of my, I wrote down 34 miracles, 34 verifiable miracles shown before the eyes of man. And people knew that he was different, that no man could do the things that he did unless God was with him. So Jesus is preaching, and I think for, he's going to thin, thin the herd a little bit. Verse 41, then the Jews, then Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, uh, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to him, to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Is it not written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God? Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he was from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And the Jews were always known for always bringing up the, uh, the wilderness experience. When, you, when you're reading the Bible, well, Moses brought us out of Egypt, and who are you? Uh, God provided a, for us in the wilderness. 
Those, those were the days, he was, they would say. Those were the days when God was working with Israel. And Jesus tries to keep relating himself back to God. And he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from, from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He's comparing himself to the bread that sustained Israel for those 40 years in the wilderness. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Well, there's, there's strife in the ranks. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, <clears throat> Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, when he's referring to the bread in the wilderness, that's the thing that sustained them. That was their main avenue of sustenance. They could not have survived life in the wilderness without the manna that came from heaven. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not going to have any part in eternal life. Just as that flesh in the wilderness was important, this is even more important because those people only live for a period of time, but those that follow me will live forever. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now notice verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? Let me point out a word there. These people that are saying that are referred to as disciples. They were aligned with Christ during his ministry. These are not uh, enemies of God. These are not the Pharisees. These are his disciples. And they said, well, this is so hard. How can I understand it? Now, let me tell you, there are going to be a lot of things that God speaks to you that you're not going to understand. I, I don't really understand what I just read about the prophet in the Old Testament, why he had to die the way he did. I don't understand it, but I know that God's word is true and that God is righteous altogether. My faith in God tells me that God's judgments are true, even though I don't understand. And that's the, that's the merit of my walk with God. When I face trials and tribulation in my life and I see things happen, that, I, I, that frighten me and I don't understand and I can't see why God allows that 
and it's hard for me to deal with them, I have to go back and say, I still need to trust in his word because that gives me life, and not only life in the present day that I'm living in, but life everlasting. Trust in the Lord, even when you don't understand it. Now, Christ stands back and he says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then, if you're offended at this, he's saying, if if this offends you, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? If this is offending you, that you can't believe that the Son of Man has come down from heaven, what about what are you going to say when the Son of Man returns up into heaven? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And Sometimes when you, I remember uh, Brother Norris talking one time and he, tried, he gave us a, a definition of a parable. Let's see if I can pull it back out of my memory. Because Jesus taught a lot in parables and his disciples asked him why he talked in parables so much. Why, why do you disguise what you're trying to say in a parable? Why don't you just state it clear and true so that everybody can understand And Jesus referred to, it's it's given for you to understand these mysteries, but to them it's not. Well, how come if God is no respecter of persons that he gives some, some the right to understand and some not? It's it's not based, it's based on the human's ability to desire to know the truth. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. Ask and you shall receive. All verbal uh, action words saying that in my approach to God, I'm going to try to seek God. I'm going to try to understand. But the natural man, when he's not hungry for truth, walks away. Now notice something about the group that stayed with Jesus that was different than the group that left. There's a main difference, and we're going to read about it here in a second. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Then he said, and he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walk with him no more. <laughs> now, I, can, I, I just want to say this. After 40-some years of ministry, and Russ has seen this, and others have seen it, other pastors have seen it, there are times when you have an influx of people and you begin to rejoice, and that's, that's, the, that's the action crowd that's always looking for the miraculous. But all of a sudden, there's another something happens where God calls the flock and it's where the word of God is given, the hard word of God, where people don't want to understand what it means and instead of seeking God and trying to understand through his revelation, they quickly depart and walk away from him. 
A good Christian with a good heart is one that hears the word of God and even though he doesn't understand it, does not act rashly and walk away from God. He waits on the Lord for the divine revelation. And even if it doesn't come, his, his faith is built not on what he sees, but on what God has promised. <laughs> I like this next question. Then Jesus, he looked around and, wow, church was full. There's only a couple people left. The thousands, the 5,000 he fed, the 4,000. There was only 12. Um, it might have been more, but it just says here there was 12. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And here's Simon Peter. We talked about him. He's, he, he's quick to answer. But he's so profound in this. This is a profound statement. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What options do I have, God? You're the author. You're the finisher. You're everything. Where else could I go? What are you going to take in exchange for Christ? What do you compare him to? Also, we have come, verse 69. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Their friend is the root of success in your relationship to the end. I may not understand why, but I know that you are the Son of God and that your word is true and the truth is everlasting and that you change not and that I can run into you as a mighty strong tower and I know that you can protect me. Even when I'm afraid, even when I don't understand, even when the, the sky is dark and everything's going wrong and I have an opportunity or, or an excuse in my own thinking that I could run away, to who am I going to turn to? That first group was a group that had come to see the show. That first group that left, those were the people that came with their baskets hoping to reap the benefits of others' sacrifices. And when all of a sudden things got tough and there might have been some energy that had to be expended on their faith, it wasn't worth it to them because they hadn't invested anything anyways. Example. I thank my brother for a lot of things. And like I, I've said before, it's amazing how our relationship has changed from what it was as children. But one of the greatest things he did for me was uh, my second, after my second year of ABI, I was so restless and I wanted to get into the ministry so bad that I had convinced myself that I would quit and that I would just get involved somewhere. I needed to do something. And I'll never forget Rick not allowing me to quit. He, remind me, he reminded me of the investment that I had made in my education and how foolish it would be after all the money that I had paid in 
and all the sacrifices that I put in in those previous years, how foolish it would for me be for me to walk away. Do you know that in these last days, a lot of people that have invested many things in their life are starting to walk away because they don't understand? I, I mentioned when I first started tonight, uh, during those three and a half years of Christ's ministry, so many people sat in awe as they saw the miraculous. They saw those miracles as they saw, saw the statue, stature of his character, the things that he did in the manner he did them. From the first miracle, from turning water into wine, to, as Luke says, the many, many healings and the, the cleansing, cleansing of lepers, uh, the healing of the Roman centurion slave, to healing Peter's mother-in-law, the, the, the calming of a storm, the healing of blind men, the feeding of 5,000, the healing of the demon-possessed man, the healing of the, de- uh, the epileptic boy in Matthew, the cursing of the fig tree. And I could go on 34 times in three and a half years, and when I get further on in Scripture, it says, if I, I think I've got this one written down, in John 21 and 25, and, it, and John goes on to say, and there are many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should have been written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written, amen. So what the, the, the apostle's saying is, not only did we have the accounts that were recorded, but there were many, many, many more accounts than just these. So let's look at the power of the miraculous in regeneration. I don't put much store in it. I think it's great, but I don't think that's what keeps us. I, we have all seen, I've seen people that have been blind get their sight. I've saw people that were deaf have got their hearing. I, I've saw miraculous things. But the only thing that has the power to keep us because if miracles kept those people there would have been a lot more of Calvary than there were matter of fact it was a sickening attendance that day in church because there was only about three out of thousands and thousands that he ministered to but the ones that were there were the ones that had said to whom would we go Who, where else can we go why you have the words of the eternal life and no matter What you see or what you feel, that's all right. But the thing that's got to sustain you is what's in your heart and your relationship of your heart to the word. I have a lot of emotions, and so do you. I can laugh and cry just like any other man, but I cannot let my heart dictate the truth. That whether I'm happy or I'm sad, the truth is an absolute. It's not subjective. The truth is not subject to emotional change. The truth is the truth. And a person that lives to learn by the truth and not by the five senses that are part of his everyday life, he'll be the one that will walk through the storm and not be shaken. I was thinking about... uh, Mark, I really like the book of Mark. 
You know, do you like the book of Mark? You know why I like Mark's book? It's like, it's the book of action. That, if there was one gospel that would be a man's gospel, it would be the book of Mark because it, it doesn't have, get into a lot of the, the theology. It's one power-packed thing after another, and Jesus did that, and Jesus did that. And of course, we know that Mark was writing to the Romans who really didn't have an interest in some of the genealogies and things like that. Like John talked about the divinity and Matthew about uh, the genealogies and other things that related back to the Old Testament. But Mark writes this in the fourth chapter, in verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? How many times have I picked up my Bible and read this verse, and that verse is, spoke out to me? Where I, it just stands out on the page, and I look at it, and it says, why are you so afraid? Why, Steve, are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Where's your faith? And then Paul, back in the book of, of 1 Corinthians, yells out, hey, Steve, faith is the substance of things not seen. But see, my human element is like those people uh, that heard about the, the, the flesh and the blood and all these other things. It, it always is relying on the visible, and now you're asking me to understand something that's invisible or spiritual. Where's your faith? And it says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, I can see this happening. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I want to tell you tonight, there is not one thing that God cannot do. And you can play word games all you want and try to use philosophy to try to play with the greatness of God. Is God so great that he can build a rock that he can't lift? That's stupid. There's not anything that God can't do and there isn't anything that he will not do for those that love him and trust in him. I was... I'm going to close in just a little bit, but I, I, I was thinking, matter of fact, I'm really wanting, in the next week, I want to write this down. I want to go back through the story and write all this down. I'm really thinking about Simon Peter. And we give him a hard lot, and he is really the outspoken person. Uh, and I told somebody this, this week, uh, a couple days ago, I was at work, and you ever have somebody that's so outspoken, they just blabber everything out? You know, in other words, if you ask their opinion about what you wear, you better be ready because they'll tell you exactly what, you, about what they think about what you're wearing. Because <laughs> that's the way they're built. She, she got into trouble with another lady today. And uh, this lady came in wearing a really nice outfit. 
And it was dress clothes. She was uh, like a, a hawk or a hud. She was just working reception. And uh, she said, what do you think of my outfit? He says, well, everybody will know that you're a mother by what you're wearing. And I, 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 I thought about what she said. And I was about 10 feet and I yelled across the room. I said, you know, this is like watching an auto accident in slow motion. Because sometimes people, and the lady said, really, does, does it make me look that bad? And I said, you might as well just get up and leave the room right now. There's no way you're going to get out of this. But Peter was like that. He would just voice his opinion without thinking about what he was saying. And I know we're hard on him for that. But I went to her later, and you know what I said to her? I said, you know, I like people like you. Because I never need to second guess what you're thinking. I always know exactly what you think. But Peter, here's Peter, and this is one of the times that I admire him so much. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're going across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is in the boat. Or not, he's not in the boat. He stayed behind. He's on the other side of Galilee. He told his disciples to go on ahead, and he stayed behind. So they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden this storm comes up, and the storms on Galilee can be severe when it comes blown off that desert area onto the Sea of Galilee. The seas can get extremely rough. And it just came on them all of a sudden, and it, it looks like the, it's in the middle of the night, wee hours of the morning, it's dark, the winds pick up, the seas get rough, and it looks like the boat's going to capsize, and everybody's praying and doing whatever they can to try to save themselves or encourage themselves and bailing the boat and everybody's frustrated and some are even thinking, why did he send us out in the boat if he knew there was going to be a storm? Why, why are we here? Why didn't we just spend the night? Why did we have to come over in the middle of the night? But Jesus sent them out into the sea that night for a reason. But they didn't understand the reason at the time because all they saw was a storm and heard the lightning and the thunder and saw the waves. And when it seemed like everything was lost, and I'm telling you this story for a reason, in your life when everything seems like it's just about gone down the drain and everything's lost, all of a sudden they see a little bit of a light in the face of, of Christ. They didn't recognize him right away. It was walking on the water, and at first they said, well, what is that? I, I, don't, I can't make it out. It's a, and that's what hope is. Hope means that you can see a glimmer of something, but you can't discern it. Hope is like faith. They're brother and sister. You can't really see them, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. And they look, and they see a little bit of an image, and they say, well, it's a spirit. But Peter recognizes what others don't, and he said, it is Jesus. He says, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. Really? Would you say that? If it's you, Jesus, tell me, come. And in the middle of these tall waves and dark night, and uh, of course the ship was already starting to sink, I suppose. Maybe he felt, well, I don't have nothing to lose. I can get out in the water. But he said, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. This is faith. Faith leaves the security of the boat it trusts in the promise of the giver. It leaves everything it's holding on to for dear life. 
and steps out into a domain that it could not normally exist in on top of the water. Nobody just walks on water unless you're Jesus. And he walks out by faith into a realm that he's not familiar with. What an act of faith. Do you know what Jesus, or what I see in Peter there? He totally, totally believed that God's word or Jesus' word would uphold him because he would have never got out of the boat unless he would have believed it. That's what faith is. It's letting go of everything that you're holding on to that's keeping you alive and walking in a dimension that you don't normally live on and walking out to the light. And Peter did that. And some of you, and most of us at one time or another have done that too. We've had to leave things behind and say, well, Lord, I don't know where I'm going, but as long as you go with me, I'm going to be all right. And then it happens to us. What happened to Peter? We trusted in God's word. We knew that it was true. But then that little false prophet came by and said that he heard from God and God changed his mind that's Satan. Your faith brought you out of the boat because it was based upon the word of God. Satan now comes and whispers in your ear and says, well, you know, this is stupid. You can't be doing this. People don't just walk on water. And it says Peter started to look at his situation. That's where you make your mistake. That's where I make my mistake. All of a sudden, I start to take inventory. Holy cow. What am I doing? I'm standing on water. I can't stand on water. I was standing on water. What do you mean I can't stand on water? The guy's walking on the water out to Jesus. He's already proving that he can. But the devil keeps putting in the negative thing. Did God really say that? Do you really, is that really true? How do you know it's true? And it says when he started to examine his surroundings, he began to sink. You ever pray that prayer? Lord, I'm sinking. What's that song? I was deep, 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 far from the favor's hand. There's another, that's Alzheimer's. It just comes to my mind from 40 years ago, but I can't remember the words. But he rescued me. He lifted me up. Love lifted me. Thank you. (laughs) And so, see, it takes two half-wits to make a hole. That's what they told me. (laughs) No, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Now, that is a perfect example of that lady that I talked about today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But I didn't mean that. How do I get out of this, brother? All right. Jesus, take me out of this. But as he began to sink, did Jesus holler at him and say, oh, you dummy, what are you doing? Why are you looking around? He reached down and grabbed him by the hand, and when he touched Jesus' hand, all of a sudden, God's provisional power lifted that body out of the water, and as long as he held on to Christ, they walked on the water together. 
And I want to tell you something. Don't beat yourself up when you, you've made a step of faith and you've started to falter and, and Satan tries to tell you you're a loser. You're not a loser. You are a person that got out of the boat when nobody else would. You're the one that stood on the word of God when it could have cost you your life. You're not a loser. And God looks down at you and even if you start to sink, he says, you know what, I'm here to pick you up, dear. I'm gonna take you back. We'll walk back to the boat together and then I'll stop the storm. He didn't stop the storm and then get back into the boat. He walked back through the storm and got into the boat and then, and then stopped the storm. And so isn't that our life? All of a sudden, it's a nice, beautiful time in your life and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, that summer squall comes up and it just turns everything black. And you just marvel, how, how could something so beautiful and serene turn so rapidly? And then that voice of God through his word speaks to you and said, just come on to me, all you that are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace. Come on to me. Don't look at the storm. Just keep walking by faith. Come out to me, and I'm going to give you what you need to survive. And if you falter, don't worry. I never one time spanked any of my children when they were learning to walk when they fell down. Could you imagine a parent doing that? How disgusting. A baby starting to take his first steps and he falls and the parent disciplines him and said, sends him to his room. Crawl to your room. No, you pick him up. And this is what Jesus does to you. You pick him up off the floor and you said, good job, good job. And I want to leave, stop at that point tonight. Good job. You fell. You got back up. Good job. Keep walking. Because you're going to be able to run soon. And you're going to be able to hold other people and pick them up when they fall. And that's why we're here. Let's stand together. That's a good place to stop. Oh, Sister Eliza, I'm going to be thinking about that all night. You know, I got to, listen, I got to preach to myself. Now listen, I got to say, devil, stop it. She knows I didn't mean that. Oh, she's got some, she's thinking in the back of her mind. <laughs> it's not true. But see, that's how he works. Anyways. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the time we've had together. It's good to laugh. It's good to look at your word and know that it's true and sustaining. I pray, Lord, for those that are going through some tough times in their life. I pray that they just get out of the boat that they're holding on to to survive and start walking by faith and realize that you're going to keep them no matter how tough the storm gets and you're able to deliver us from any situation. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.